Welcome to Bare Roots, the podcast that unearths the truth. Allegedly. We're your hosts. I'm Alina. And I'm Shannon. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Bare Roots Podcast. Today, we are talking about the Philosopher's Stone, which you might have heard this uh, phrase from, of course, I mean, Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. And today's episode is near and dear to Shannon's heart. So Shannon, how are you feeling today on today's episode? On today's episode, I'm feeling great. On the week itself, you know it's been a long week. It's been a long week for you too. I am on, I guess this would be my second glass of wine. (laughs) (laughs) Because it's been a week. It's been a week, yeah. And you notice how I purposely asked you, how are you feeling on today's episode and not typically what I ask you, which is, how are you feeling? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I noticed that edit. <laughs> yeah, it's been a long week, everyone. Um, I don't know. Shin and I were talking and there's something in the air, but we are setting good intentions because today is a new moon. Tomorrow is a Chinese New Year. So we are pushing away the past, pushing away the negative energy, right. and welcoming in good vibes. And that starts with a glass of wine. It really does. I just felt it lift from me when you said that, pushing away the dark <laughs> energy. I just felt it. It went away. <laughs> Can you see the light coming through the blinds now? Yeah, yeah. I feel yeah. good. <laughs> That's all you need, you know? So everyone, um, what can you do? I guess now is a little past the point by the time you're listening to this episode, but you can always, just talking to you, Shannon, I guess, um, (laughs) you know, clean your house, clean your room a little bit, you know, again, bringing that good energy, new year energy, some citrus that's supposed to like represent like freshness. So like a fresh start. And um, yeah, we're on the year of the ox. Year of the ox. Wow. Strong one. Hmm. Yeah, Yeah. What was last year's? year of the rat (laughs) so 2020 was year of the rat 2020 was the year of the rat and (laughs) i don't know if it's ironic but that is so like in the chinese new year uh there's 12 animals and the rat represents the first animal oh and yeah so this year is like the second one so it's just kind of ironic that like 2020 has just been like a doozy you know and that's like the start of like the new what do you say, new decade, you know, and yeah. like, it's the new Chinese New Year. But um, I read online that the – so how they, like, come up with the order is – I'm, like, going on a tangent, so sorry, people. <laughs> there was, like, a party for, like, an emperor, and he said, like, the order of the Chinese zodiac is going to be the order in which the, all the animals come in. And the ox was numero uno. Like, he was, like, on his way. And then all of a sudden, the sneaky little rat – came by, zoomed by, and took the spot. So he became number one. When in reality, the ox really should have been the first one. But the ox was just, you know what? It's fine. You know, I kind of picture like the older sibling almost where you're just like, you know, it's like, whatever. Let's just let let it be. So, yeah. It's supposed to be very hardworking. You know, the ox is very hardworking. But doesn't need any like recognition. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So again, positive vibes, people. Hope you all have a great Chinese New Year if you celebrate. And um, <laughs> let's get on with the episode, right? Shall we? So we're talking about the <laughs> Philosopher's Stone, which, like Alina said, I uh, picked this topic because I wanted to, and <laughs> <laughs> it was, you know, we all know it based off Harry Potter. When I think of it, I think of you know the first episode or the first movie of Harry Potter, and it's like a red, semi-clear stone. That's how it was depicted. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and J.K. Rowling definitely got inspiration from real people and real life events. And that's what we're going to talk about. Yeah, I think that's what's so interesting about this story, especially when you uh, suggested it. I'm like, what? Like, what do you mean? Like, like the movie? I thought we were gonna do like a little movie recap or something. <laughs> but no, like it really is a real thing. And she definitely took inspo from all of this. So we're gonna dive in and talk about the history kind of of the Philosopher's Stone and just like some of the like mysteries and like the connotation behind it. So let's dive in with what we have on the record. So from the Middle Ages to the late 17th century, the so-called Philosopher's Stone was the most sought after goal in the world of alchemy, which is the medieval ancestor of chemistry, right? According to the legend, the Philosopher's Stone was a substance that could turn ordinary metals such as iron, tin, lead, zinc, nickel, or copper into precious metals like gold and silver. I mean, how important is that, especially in those days? So it acted also as an elixir of life. So with the power to cure illnesses, um, it had properties that could renew youth and even grant immortality to those who possessed it. And this was really sought after all around the world from China, India, Egypt, Greek, and Roman times. So everybody knew about this thing and everybody wanted it. Right. And even Voldemort wanted it, which we know from the first book of Harry Potter Mm -hmm. and the Sorcerer's Stone. The British version is called Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone, but they switched it for the American version. I'm not entirely sure why. Maybe they thought Philosopher was in over our American heads. I don't know. But that's how it is. Yeah, philosopher apparently wasn't a selling word, but sorcerer was. Sorcerer definitely was. Yeah, it got (laughs) us. It gripped us. (laughs) So the first mention of the stone that we know of is in 300 AD. But alchemists from history say it's been around for much longer than that. And some take it even as far as saying that it was actually present in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. So we all know the story of the Garden of Eden of Eden, and the Tree of Knowledge with the forbidden fruit. And that's where Eve, Eve takes the fruit and then everybody's you know, screwed from there. Mm-hmm. But there was also apparently a Tree of Life in the Garden of Eden. And the stone allegedly came from the Tree of Life. And the stone was passed down from biblical patriarch to biblical patriarch again and again. And that's, you know, allegedly it gives you uh, immortality. So it just kept passing on to people Mm -hmm. because they lived so long. But some alchemists believe that the Philosopher's Stone may not have been a stone at all. Again, I always picture the red, like, ruby kind of rock from Harry Potter. Yeah. But some people believe that it couldn't, it may have just been like a powder or a tincture Um, It may have been a red powder, liquid gold, golden seeds, and many more substances that alchemists were trying to identify it as. And one word that kept coming up was materia prima, which, according to Plato, the the four elements are derived from a common source. So, like, what we have, earth, air, water, and fire. Avatar to... Yeah. Yeah. So I guess Plato was thinking that those four elements derived from like one common source, and that was the materia prima or prima materia, and which means like first matter. 
and it's always associated with chaos, apparently. And the importance of this first matter persisted throughout history of alchemy. All the alchemists were trying to find it, you know, because this mm-hmm. first matter, this is what's going to give you, I keep on wanting saying, uh, I keep on wanting to say immunity. <laughs> I've been watching <laughs> so much Survivor. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. You win the immunity challenge. Right, right. The ultimate immunity challenge. No, this will <laughs> give you immortality. And the 17th century alchemist Thomas Vaughn wrote that the first matter of the stone is the very same with the first matter of all things. So literally everything comes from this. But it was it's super interesting because alchemists couldn't describe really what it was and they kept comparing it to other things and there was I found like a list of 84 things they compared it to Mm -hmm. but I jotted down a few just because I thought that they were interesting or funny so obviously the philosopher's stone is one of them it's also called the water of life it was described as poison and medicine Mm -hmm. it was a fiery and burning water It was described as a bride, spouse, mother, and Eve, the milk of a virgin. It was also described as honey or vinegar or lead tin. (laughs) It's called the spittle of the moon (laughs) and urine. Like these are all very different things. The soul of heaven and of the earth, the soul and heaven of the elements. And this was my personal favorite. (laughs) The tartar of the philosophers. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> philosopher tartar <laughs> philosopher tartar <laughs> and then it's also just described as chaos which again is super like i just like chaos it sounds yeah. so dramatic you uh, know, some of those things that you mentioned on its own are pretty powerful when i think about it for example honey i mean that thing never expires right vinegar i mean vinegar is one of those things that can really do so many things i'm thinking of like cleaning Cleaning and preserving things. Exactly. Like, what a powerful thing. I mean, of course, you got water. But those three things, I I could understand their rationale. Right. So, in addition to giving you mortality and turning things into gold, or like common metals into gold, apparently the Philosopher's Stone could also create perpetually burning lamps. That's kind of cool, especially Mm -hmm. back then. Mm-hmm. Um, it could change common crystals like common rocks into diamonds. It could revive dead plants, apparently. Wow. As a plant mom, I love to hear that. Yeah. How lovely. <laughs> Some backup. <laughs> it could create flexible glass. And at the bottom of this list, they just threw this in at the bottom. So we got burning lamps, we got turning rocks into diamonds, we got reviving dead plants, we got flexible glass. And then it says, oh, oh, at the little bottom, the creation of a clone or homunculus. Mm. Excuse me? Interesting. You know what's so ironic about you talking about that is that in my um, current class, I'm taking an ethics class, and we were just learning about bioengineering, and of course, it talks about cloning. So my goodness, I have so many thoughts. (laughs) you don't even know what we're getting into yet (laughs) so apparently it could create clones and i looked into this a little bit more and alina i didn't it brought me down a rabbit hole that i did not want to take (laughs) i did not i was not prepared to take and i don't know if i'm better off for it (laughs) 
but we're sharing it with everyone. I mean, I can't not share it now that I know this. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, goodness. Okay. What wild ride are we about to like hop on right now? Okay. So the word homunculus, I'm going to pronounce it like that. That's how it's spelled. I don't like it's a very hard word to say and I don't like it, but that's how we're going to do this. I looked into that because I didn't know what that was. And it first appears by that name in alchemical, so um, alchemy writings, attributed to Paracelsus, which Paracelsus was the name of a man in the 1500s, which I had to double check that because that sounds like ancient Greek to me. Like who in the Mm. 1500s? We literally have Johns in the 1500s and we have Paracelsus. (laughs) Yes, it's a celebrity child's name. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So Paracelsus, he outlined his method for creating a homunculi. um, And I have a direct, I have a quote. Um, (laughs) So we're just going to walk through this. Okay. (laughs) That the sperm of a man be putrefied by itself in a sealed cuckerbit for 40 days with the highest degree of putrefaction didn't know that was a word mm-hmm. in a horse's womb or you know at least so long that it comes to life and moves itself and stirs which is easily observed don't worry it's easily observed after this time it will look somewhat like a man but transparent without a body so looks like a man but without a body try to think of that one If, after this, it be fed wisely with the arcanum of human blood, I had to look up what arcanum meant, and that means mysteries or secrets. So it has to be fed with the secrets of human blood and be nourished for up to 40 weeks and be kept at the even heat of a horse's womb. A living child grows therefrom with all its members like another child, which is born of a woman but much smaller. Whoa. Okay, I feel like we need to unpack. unpack. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. We just... Where do we even start? Okay, I don't know where to even start. So, okay. You take a sperm of a man and you seal it in a cucurbit, which I'm like, oh, that must be like some word for like a container, right? Like Mm -hmm. Like a valve or like a, I don't know, a... What's the thing? Like a like a glass a container. Something. Yeah, yeah. I looked up a cuckerbit and do you know what a cuckerbit is? Uh, no, I don't. Please enlighten me. It's a squash. It's oh. a gourd. A gourd. Oh. So they're putting sperm in a gourd, uh-huh, sealing uh-huh. that up, putting that in a horse, and letting it sit there for 40 days until it apparently starts moving in the horse, and then they feed it the mysteries of human blood for 40 weeks until a small human comes out. Okay. Um, first of all, this person sounds like they were on drugs when I'm creating this. <laughs> Second of all, I just like need to bring it back home. So what does the Philosopher's Stone like do like with his quote or you know what I mean like I'm just trying to like (laughs) I got really distracted by this like odd thing I'm kind of in like a cloning stage right now but I forgot we have a podcast about the philosopher's stone 
You know, that's an excellent question. I think it just helps it along. Like, so if you have this stone. Right. You can do this successfully. You can do this particular process successfully. successfully. And that is how you clone with the Philosopher's Stone. Correct. Wow. And this brought me into a thing called preformationism which was a popular theory that animals developed from miniature versions of themselves, which, so basically, the sperm was believed to contain complete individuals called animalcules. So think of, like, molecule, but put animal in front of it, animalcule. And then while it was in the womb, it grows into a baby. So, yeah. (laughs) so sperm held a little man that was placed inside a woman for growth into a child which was how they explained conception Mm -hmm. at a certain point in time and this wasn't this they weren't really able to explain why some kids looked like their moms in this Mm -hmm. theory I'm just like imagining a child looking like their mother. (laughs) (laughs) It's me. (laughs) It's me. (laughs) Yeah. So apparently that was an explanation for conception at one point. Uh, It it seems like something that would be disproven immediately. Because if that was true, because they're saying that Adam had contained inside him, had the whole of humanity. So after Adam, all of his sperm became us which (laughs) (laughs) and again if if every sperm is a little man and that's a direct replicate of the person then we would all look the same so it just seems like something that would be debunked Uh 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 and this guy paracelsus you know that was his method for creating these little people Uh these little people And uh, I just don't understand that phrasing because it acts like he did it before. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I just kind of have like my eyebrows like buried like in confusion. Yeah, yeah. You can look up a homunculus and it's, um, yeah, a little like microscopic person that turns into like a slightly larger person, but still small, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Interesting. I can definitely understand you saying that you didn't realize this was going to be a journey right. that you were about to embark on researching this um, topic. <laughs> right, 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 right. I just wanted to talk about immortality. I didn't want to talk about little men. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Okay. You yeah. Know, so a- that's that, people. So if you didn't know about that, like, I, mm-hmm. I hope you didn't know about that. Now you know. <laughs> and, um we're going to get back to the more traditional stories of the Philosopher's Stone, which is immortality, yes, not these yes. little people. <laughs> um, <laughs> so alchemists were obsessed. You know, they were obsessed with the Philosopher's Stone. This is like their life's work. This is their greatest achievement. Everybody's trying to do it. Like this is the hip thing to try to find to do totally. if you're an alchemist. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And so they're doing experiments in their laboratories, they're making fires, they're doing stuff. And this actually led to a lot of the knowledge that we have in chemistry 
metallurgy and pharmacology today because, you know, they made in not making the Philosopher's Stone, they made a lot of other things that were helpful, Mm -hmm. which is really nice. Yeah. And when many of the Western world's most brilliant minds, they also looked for it. You know, they were also alchemists. So we're talking Roger Boyle, which is the father of modern chemistry, and Sir Isaac Newton, who we know. And apparently he... um. He was a little bit more secret because it was kind of not okay to do alchemy, I think. Like, it was kind of like, a little like, witchy. You know, okay. let's just talk about that for a second, actually. <laughs> I'm going on a little bit of a tangent, but, you know, we have these people, these women who are being, you know, considered witches. But you have these men who are actually doing all these, you know, behind the scenes potions. They're putting gourds inside horses. I know. <laughs> yeah. And but they're not being called witches. Interesting. And if you don't know what we're talking about, please refer to our Salem Witch Trials episode. <laughs> good plug, good plug. <laughs> yeah, so Sir Isaac Newton was like on the DL with being in alchemy, but now we know that he did. It came mm-hmm. out later that he was in on it. So in 2016, one recipe for the Philosopher's Stone copied by hand by Isaac Newton was found in a 17th century document and the paper originally written by, this is a name that I never thought I'd have to pronounce, Irenaeus, we'll go with that, mm-hmm. Philathes. Like yeah, that sounds great. Uh, he was a prominent alchemist among uh, Newton and his contemporaries. He, he wrote it, Newton copied over by hand, and he talks about sophic mercury, which is, I guess, short for philosophical mercury, which is a synonym, which is another way to say the elixir of life. And the recipe calls for distilling ore and purifying other metals to make a substance that can turned, turn base metal into gold. So he basically was like, this is how you turn lead into gold. You boil down this, you melt this, and there you go. It kind of went from there. And I just wanted to point out, those of you people who are Harry Potter fans, you will know immediately what the Deathly Hallows symbol looks like. You know, we got the triangle with the circle mm-hmm. with the line through it. Mm-hmm. I happened upon the symbol for the Philosopher's Stone, and it's very similar. And I think J.K. Rowling probably got the, you know, idea from this. Mm-hmm. The symbol for the Philosopher's Stone is, maybe we'll put it on our Instagram. Great plug at Bear Roots Pod. <laughs> it's a circle with a triangle in it with a square in that and then another circle. We'll post it. It looks pretty similar. Mm-hmm. So the man we've been waiting for. The man, the myth, the legend. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Only known to you because of Harry Potter. A hundred percent. Nicholas Flamel. So Nicholas Flamel is the creator at least in the Harry Potter franchise, he created the Philosopher's Stone, the Sorcerer's Stone. Mm-hmm. And that's where basically like Dumbledore and Harry and all that got the stone from. So he was actually a real person and he was a French bookseller and notary who lived in Paris during the 14th and, 15th and early 15th centuries. He was probably born in 1330. He married a woman named Perinel and yeah, yeah. Uh, Perinel. Yeah. She was widowed twice before and she brought fortune from her two previous husbands to her marriage with Nicholas Flamel. And 
the couple is relatively wealthy and they own several properties, donated money to the French Catholic Church, and their wealth in philanthropy has become part of the legend that surrounds Flamel's reputation as alchemist. So records show that Flamel died in 1418 at 88 years old, and he was buried in Paris beneath tombstone he designed himself. And his will, dated 1416, apparently left the majority of his library to a nephew whom we don't know much about. But some people don't believe he died at all because they think he created the Philosopher's Stone and he has immortality. So his interest in alchemy, because we're just talking about bookseller, you know, he's just a bookseller. It's Mm -hmm. fine. Everything's fine. He apparently got his interest in alchemy from a book. It began with a book. And it said that a stranger approached him one day with a rare manuscript. And I'm just thinking like a hooded figure in an Mm -hmm. alley. He's Mm -hmm. got it under his cloak. He's like, I got this manuscript for you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And Flamel recognized it because not long before he had a dream about an angel. And the angel appeared holding a book telling him, One day you will see in it that which no other man will be able to see. Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) And apparently it was all, the book was all in Hebrew and he could not read Hebrew. And he spent 21 years trying to decipher it. Wow. So he just, it took him 21 years to try to read Hebrew? Yeah. <laughs> Seems like a really long time. Otherwise, I would have gone a friend or a translator. <laughs> well, good, good assumption, Alina. Finally, he traveled to Spain <laughs> to find a Jewish scholar, and he met Maestro Canches. And Canches translated three pages of the book, and he agreed to go back to Paris with him. But unfortunately, he became ill on the journey and died, Canches did. But luckily, Flamel apparently learned some of the language from him. And in three years, he was able to translate the book himself. Wow. Now that is some dedication. Seriously. Man, like Hebrew must be a hard language to learn. 20 something years later. Is nobody in Paris able to read this way? (laughs) My goodness, seriously. In 1382, Flamel claimed to have transformed lead into gold after decoding it from that book. And those who believe Flamel used the book to create the stone point to the fact that Flamel then came, became rich. Like, after he said that he claimed to make this stone, he became rich. And he became so incredibly rich that, and he started donating it to the church, it brought the attention of King Charles VI who ordered an investigation into him, like how did he get this money? Mm. And nothing of interest was found. But on the record, there is no indication that Flamel had any involvement in alchemy at all. And some people believe that the stories are just stories. The mysterious book is just a story. Some people even believe that the character, like Flamel wasn't even a real person, even though I'm pretty sure they do have solid evidence that he was. But some people believe that he was just a um, invention of 17th century publishers to sell lots of ancient alchemy books. But in the Harry Potter series, he and his wife are still alive currently. They're over 600 years old. And of course, because of that, 
they did he did make the philosopher's stone and we all know where it went from there in the harry potter series that's right but yeah what do you think alina do you think he's still alive i don't think he's still alive but do i think that he's a real person and that this was kind of like his life's mission i do think so nice great what do you think yeah i think so too Alrighty, so that's kind of like the more historical, taking a look back in time, kind of where it began, like the origins of it. But even though it, you know, obviously has a start, has a beginning, I'm like, why we're so interested in the Philosopher's Stone, it has still creeped into like modern times. And there's still a lot to learn and from what people are saying specifically about the stone. And obviously, people are still obsessed with trying to find immortality. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So one example is Robert Cox from Arizona. And he thinks that he discovered the elixir of life in his backyard. Imagine that. So he wrote a book about his discovery. And just to kind of sum it all up from what he uh, discovered, he said that back in 1989, while attempting to extract precious minerals from his property, a wealthy Arizonan obtained a mysterious white material that initially defied scientific attempts to identify it. Wild. After several years of testing, this substance was revealed to consist of gold and platinum, but in a form unknown to modern science. I mean, this is only 1989. Further research showed that this powder, which had also been discovered to possess marvelous healing powers, contained monatomic forms of precious metals whose electron units have been altered to no longer display the physical, chemical, or electrical properties of the original element. And this uh, substance that Robert Cox shows bears a really eerie resemblance to the ultimate quest of the alchemist, which is the elixir of immortality. Imagine that. Imagine discovering something. Okay. Let's just like put it aside the fact that it may or may not be like the Philosopher's Stone, just in itself discovering something that has not been known to modern science. That's wild. Yeah. I mean, I looked up his book and they got like no reviews. Nobody has read this book. (laughs) (laughs) And when you look at his photo, he does look like somebody who would have thought that he found the elixir of immortality in his backyard. Mm-hmm. he definitely does look the part um so i don't know how much i believe it but hey mysterious powder in your backyard go for it get it tested i don't know <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's it's like a good for you kind of situation yeah i feel he's like he's making really- lemonade out of lemons is what he he's doing. really is he really is and you know for that i have to get him some credit <laughs> I feel like he just like took it a little too far, you know? Like he really had something going in there. What can you do? We should read his book. We should read his book. But if we made a book club, a Bear Roots book club, <laughs> let us know in the comments <laughs> below. <laughs> so, yeah, so we have this one man, uh, Mr. Robert. And then fairly recently, uh, in 2009, the staff of a 14th century Carthusian. Carthusian? Carthusian? I kind of like what you said, which is in Yorkshire, England, attempted to recreate centuries-old recipe for chartreuse liquor that was once used as a miracle medicine. And the monks were, like a little backstory, the monks were evicted in the 16th century during the course of the Reformation. 
And this was decades before Carthusians, monks in France, began formulating the spirit according to tradition. But the modern-day staff at a historical site has nonetheless established a special herb garden in an attempt to match the formula that they call the elixir of long life. Uh, the original ancient recipe was given um, to the monks in 1605 by Marshal of King Henry IV's artillery, and it was nicknamed the Elixir of Life. And this recipe had about 130 different herbs, and it couldn't be interpreted until 1764, so almost like 100 plus years later. The monks began making and selling the Elixir as medicine, and today what they call as the elixir of light of long life, it's still made of only by the chartreuse monks following that ancient recipe. And it's called the elixir vegetal de la grande chartreuse. How's my French? Fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You can buy that. I honestly didn't look up where you could buy it. Or how much it costs. But it's green and it kind of looks delicious and I kind of want it. But they're like, we're not going to tell you what's in it. Yeah. Right? They're like, it's a secret ingredient. We're not going to disclose it. But you can buy it off of us. Right. I would trust the monks, honestly. I would. Seriously. Yeah. If anybody is going to create the elixir of long life, I 100% would buy it from a monk. I just feel like monks have a lot of focus, you know? And like a steady hand, you know? Uh-huh. Exactly. And I feel like they know nature so well like they know what herbs are going to trigger that elixir of life (laughs) (laughs) um copying over you know books from deck or from hundreds of years ago like they got the steady hand they got the patience they can cut herbs and mix them up and i can have a very good cocktail out of that totally i feel like we should um leave a couple amazon links one for the book and one for this (laughs) elixir affiliate links (laughs) <laughs> yeah, affiliate links will be, you know, transparent about that. <laughs> <laughs> and for our last kind of like modern story that we have, in 2015, Russian scientists began injecting elderly mice with this three and a half million year old bacteria found in the frozen tundra of Siberia. And they were able to claim that they were able to successfully prolong life. Which, you know, I, I don't know what that could be, but I feel like to be a Siberian, you got to have something, some toughness in you. And I feel like over the years, that's got to be like evolution where you're genetically modified to survive. Yeah, that's the whole point because this bacteria has been in there for three and a half million years and it just bounces back. So they're like, let's inject this and in things and see what happens. And, you know, the Russians did it. Yeah, and maybe they're on to something. Um, they reported that after being injected, these mice grannies, that is so funny, <laughs> not only began, wait, it's just like so funny to me. <laughs> Imagine being referring your mice as grannies. Okay, that's hilarious. They're old mice, Selena. I know, I know. It's just, it's so endearing to call them grannies. Um <laughs> So, you know, these elderly mice not only began to dance, <laughs> but. <laughs> oh, wow. Wow. This just gets better and better. <laughs> but they also produced offspring. Like, what? This is like IVF, but like, make it <laughs> mice. 
<laughs> the mice lived an average of 308 days longer than those who did not get the injection. Okay, so basically they only lived one year longer, but they were able to dance and have children. I feel like one year for a mouse that's on its like last legs is pretty freaking good. You think so? I feel like I, I'd want more. I think that's good. Because if you <laughs> multiply the lifespan of a mouse to the lifespan of a human... Yeah, yeah. I you know, so. if this if this bacteria get me like seven more years, cool. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Doing the the math of like a dog life and a human life. <laughs> I just made up that number. I don't know what it would be. I don't know how long a mouse lives. <laughs> <laughs> These are the questions we must ask ourselves. <laughs> okay, so this was like kind of like the first round, the first rodeo, and then they also gave it to fruit flies, and their offsprings grew larger and faster, which I think. Is a horrible idea. Those things are so annoying. I would not want them mm. to be larger or faster or live longer. That's an and produce point. more. Yeah, excellent like, point. They also became more resistant to stresses like heat and UV radiation, um, which is you know pretty good. So they also put the bacteria into tiny crustaceans called copepods and human blood cells, and the bacteria strengthened the immune systems of the test subjects, which is you know pretty good. Uh, they also have begun to test the bacteria's effect on crops with encouraging results, which I guess to me that would make sense. Uh, the crops grew faster, um, they produced even more, and are even resistant, more resistant to frost, which is really great for specifically that area. Uh, and they have said that the bacteria enhances photosynthesis, which is so critical for obviously the crops. And, you know, we got a little cheeky scientist and this scientist admits to injecting himself with the bacteria and reported positive effects. And he <laughs> and he works longer and hasn't had the flu in two years. Imagine, okay, you're being so cheeky and you inject yourself with this bacteria and then your uh, like little like work cubicle office is like, okay, just because you did that, you're going to work longer. Like we will not let you retire like at the proper time because you took this from us so that means you have more energy to keep going i just uh, kind of like i don't want to jinx myself in any way because we are still in a pandemic but like knock on wood i also haven't gotten the flu in the last two years so i don't think he's like that cool for not having the flu in the last two years mm. but i'm knocking on wood because i just jinxed myself that's right you gotta do it you gotta knock on wood so he didn't see any danger in doing this because the permafrost has been melting. So the bacteria has been getting into the soil and water of the local people, and they seem to be living longer than normal. So needless to say, these claims have not been verified by mainstream science. It's a lot to unpack here. Yeah, um, so the Russians, the Russians are going to do it before the rest of us, and it's going to be a problem. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> do you believe in this? Do you believe that he, they genuinely did find something? to like prolong life because it hasn't been verified technically no but like yeah i don't know like why hasn't been hasn't it been verified mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um have they tried to verify it and russia's not giving up like the information or has it just not mm -hmm. gotten to yet like i don't know what the situation is yes um, 2015 so it's been coming up on six years so you'd think that they kind of get to it but mm -hmm. i am not sure and i don't know how i feel about it either like i i don't know how i feel about 
people living longer in general if we're going to mm-hmm. get deep you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the world's population is just like so much that it's just like do we want people to live that much longer too mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. uh but yeah that's right <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I also just find it kind of uh, eerie that they're, according to this person, right, allegedly that he has this stuff, that it's just being put into local people's, like, water and soil. And so it's like they kind of have no choice. I guess it's better than having some sort of, like, chemical radiation going through. Yeah, but I don't think, like, I don't think they could really do anything about it other than, like, getting those people out of the situations, like, out of that area. Because it's in all of the permafrost, so they can't really dig that up and put it elsewhere but also i wonder if you can grow i mean you i guess you would be able to grow this bacteria but it's like what happens when you run out of the bacteria and we're all like used to having get used to getting pumped with this that bacteria that makes Rude. us live longer yeah there's that's a problem for another day i guess certain amount of supply for that you know i like the idea of it though i like I can see where the thought process is going. I just don't know, you know, is it true? Correct. Slash, is it, does it work, right? I mean, maybe they have done these experiments, but like, what is the success rate on that? Mm-hmm. But all in all, I just think in general, it makes complete sense to me that just the idea of the Philosopher's Stone exists because... I mean, you think of like modern medicine, maybe a little less so, but going back during those times of like the Middle Ages to like the 17th century, so many of the things that they would use, I mean, you'd use nature to heal, right? That's Mm -hmm. all they could use. So they, I mean, so many things have different like properties, like cinnamon, cinnamon, you know, helps (laughs) to like uh, boost your metabolism. Like it does something good for you. Um, You have something like, I mean, teas, like teas are such a great one. Like the leaves yeah. are like, maybe they can give you like caffeine. Like maybe it can calm your stomach ache. So many different things. So the idea of something natural being able to not only heal you, but to produce some sort of long life or ultimate health or whatever, I could understand that rationale and that search for it. Because if there are things on this planet that can do things like that, like heal you and whatnot, Who's to say that there isn't something that can do more? Yeah, excellent point. And I think humans will always be looking for it until Mm -hmm. it's found, if it's found. Exactly. I agree. So that was today's episode. Um, We hope that you guys enjoyed it. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Bear Roots Pod. And that's B-A-R-E Roots Pod. And uh, we'll have a fabulous new episode, of course, next week. So be sure to subscribe um, on whatever streaming platform you prefer. And tell a friend about our podcast, too. We love new listeners on this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Alrighty, everyone. Have a good one. See you next time. Bye. Bye.